welcome to the first episode of The Dive, a podcast about the University of Maryland and the culture it consumes, brought to you by the Dimeback. I'm Michael Arrigo. And I'm Josh Magnus, and together we run the diversion section of the paper that will be responsible for most of the stories you hear in this program. Our goal with this podcast was to create something the paper has never had before, something that could add a new, exciting dimension to our coverage. Yeah, I guess what we want this to be is something that's a real, relatable representation of what people are talking about on campus, whether it's something school-related or pop culture-centric. And just like our print product, this podcast is going to be a little bit unpredictable. We plan to cover a wide variety of topics in our bi-weekly episodes. For example, we have three stories in today's show. One of them is about campus dining, one of them is about Lil Wayne, and the third focuses on Gene Wilder's Willy Wonka. If you can find a way that those three things connect, well then, you're smarter than us. What we hope is that you can turn on this podcast on your walk across campus, or your commute home, or that weird gap that you have between Tuesday classes, and just enjoy yourself and learn a bit. And when I say we, I don't just mean Josh and I. Uh, Throughout these episodes, you'll be hearing a bunch of different voices, and those are all the people in Diversions and at the Diamondback who work to make this thing possible. From all of them, and from us, we thank you for listening, and we hope you'll continue to do so throughout the year. So, without further ado, let's jump into our first story. It comes from staff writer Anna Muckerman, and it's about the wave of anger that recently struck this campus after the dining hall decided to remove a single sandwich. Let's time travel. It's a warm afternoon in September 2015. After class, you head to the dining hall as you did the day before, and the day before that. You weave and dodge, and finally, you make it to the sandwich line. They're out of mayonnaise. Luckily, you're not here for a BLT. You're not here for a turkey and cheese. No, you're special. Like the person in front of and behind you, you're here for a buffalo chicken wrap. It will have breaded chicken, it will have lettuce, it will have tomato, cheese, and hot sauce. You will choose ranch over blue cheese, and there will be pretzels. Because you have ingested it, you will live to order it again tomorrow. We know that people get very attached to food, we know that people get very attached to specific items of food, and we know that buffalo chicken wraps are very popular. That's Bart Hipple. He's the director of communications for dining services. In other words, he's the one who had to tell thousands of buffalo chicken worshiping students that their lives were about to change. Of course we thought about buffalo chicken wraps. We thought of them in a bigger context. We thought of them in the context of students really speaking out that they wanted variety and they wanted healthy. Oh, I get it. Students want variety and healthy, but like in the form of eating fried breaded chicken every day of every week. But I wanted to hear the cries and pleas of students, the ones personally traumatized by the change. I talked to sophomore finance major Mike Slavin. Tell them to bring the, the create your own rap station back. That was the best and one. bring the go. The despair, you can hear it in their voices. The way they begged me to make major changes to the university's dining plan. Next, I met Chloe Wheeler, and I asked the junior architecture major, do you miss buffalo chicken wraps? I'm just upset with the entire plan. In general. Okay. Like, I feel like 
they had this idea of like we're gonna make food healthier and we're gonna make it better and it really sucks. Clearly Chloe feels very strongly but how does she feel about buffalo chicken? I mean I've gone in for breakfast and they only have like eggs and sausage and everything where they had like more options before. Eggs definitely but what about buffalo chicken? How do you feel about that item specifically? I hate the entire sandwich bar now because you basically have, I think it's turkey, ham, lettuce, tomatoes, and mayo. You probably could have tacked buffalo chicken onto that. My mom and I like calculated how much we're spending for food a day and it comes around to like $20 a day and I don't know anyone who eats $20 worth of food every day here. Chloe, please, what do people think about the lack of buffalo chicken wrap? <laughs> My sister used to go here and she's a friend in grad school here that said it made him contemplate actually leaving, like transferring, because that's all he ate. And he was just so upset with it. He was like, I just don't want to be here anymore. Buffalo chicken wraps? Mm -hmm. like yeah. Chloe's sister's friend, who's a grad student, loved buffalo chicken wraps so much, he considered transferring when he couldn't eat them every day. But the students who decided to stick it out and continue their education buffalo chickenless, how are they surviving? Here's junior government major Vanya Cisneros. I mean, I definitely do miss them because now I have to find like another go-to meal. And, you know, if there's like something that I don't necessarily want, like I have to get it because the buffalo chicken wraps are gone. So what's the solution? And they are on the menu. They will be reappearing frequently, but they're not there every day. They're coming back more often than we had anticipated bringing them back, but we're still not prepared to bring them back full time. Well, there it is, devotees. Bart Hipple hears your cries, and we might be seeing buffalo chicken a bit more often. Until then, Satisfy your cravings by putting hot sauce on everything else you eat. Keep it spicy, College Park. That was Anna Muckerman on campus's Buffalo Chicken Shortage. And now staff writer Cameron Niemand on the best songs by your favorite rapper's favorite rapper. Born Dwayne Michael Carter Jr. on September 27, 1982, American rapper, skateboarder, mixtape legend, and syrup-drinking pioneer Lil Wayne has come a long way as an artist since first signing to Birdman's Cash Money Records at the age of nine. Yes, that's right, Wayne was signed as a rapper when you were still being assigned to elementary school desks. Now, 25 years later, his illustrious career, including four Grammy Award wins, uh, 24 nominations, three number one albums, as well as his formerly unbreakable bond with Cash Money CEO Brian Birdman Williams, may be coming to an end. On September 3rd, the internet was set ablaze after Wayne published two back-to-back -back tweets referencing his being defenseless and mentally defeated. Coupled with Wayne's health concerns, which include his suffering three seizures in a span of four weeks this past summer, the news has fans worried that Wayne's retirement may be imminent. So, in case Wheezy F chooses to let F stand for finished, 
Here's a list of 10 essential songs that help us understand what made Lil Wayne's career so noteworthy. So first up, we have The Block Is Hot. Lil Wayne's debut studio album back in 1999 at the age of 17. This is essential because it lets us know just how long Wayne's been around. That's a 17 year old in 1999 who still in 2016 is still as relevant as he's ever been. Uh, he comes off hot right away with the Hot Boys features, the group that he was previously affiliated with, with members BG and Juvenile. The instrumental is absolute fire. It will still hold up in the year of 2016. And this is really our intro to the star of Wayne, a star who was ready to go and seasoned at a time when he was still really young. Also a fun little fact on this song, besides the F word, which Wayne has always loved, um, there is little cursing on here because of the fact that Wayne's mother uh, did not want that at the time. So number two, go DJ. This is an older season Wayne. He looks a little bit scarier on the album cover. It features the iconic Manny Fresh intro, which is DJ Matt. Um, which I just did justice to wonderfully. Uh, Wayne's flow is incredible. Uh, he's older. He's referencing hitting the blunt now, which will be a motif throughout his career to come. And he just feels untouchable. The music video is really cool and total early 2000s filmed in a really corny looking prison. But a really cool line that sticks out to me is where Lil Wayne says... They better step their authority up before they step to a sergeant's son. I got army guns. And right at that point in the video, it cuts to Birdman, Lil Wayne's father figure slash icon of southern rap music, which brings us in to number three, Birdman Jr. So he never really had a father. Birdman comes around, signs him at the age of nine. This is the man who he's looking up to, a rather wild, all over the place role model, but still someone who gives him influence in the music industry, who's looking out for him, and who sets the way for a career to come. So then we transition into 2005's The Carter II, and our song is Hustler Music. Hit me. This is one of Wayne's least successful singles, and it's the second single off of the Carter II. Um, and we hear Lil Wayne's iconic, it's Wheezy F Baby and Please Say the Motherfuckin', which we can bleep at a later date. Uh, Wayne absolutely kills the hook on this song. He really feels from the heart, and these are some of the realest lyrics he's kind of brought up in a long time. So then, at number five, we have Dedication, which also comes out in 2005. Shit. Guessed accurately. It's me, ladies and gentlemen. And the real thing to note about this is Lil Wayne is the all-time goat of the mixtape industry. Some might say currency, some might say guys like that. But Wayne has released like infinite series of unbelievable mixtapes from the from the drought. Sorry for the wait. No ceilings. Dedication. And dedication is just one of the most iconic things. He, uh, a great thing to mention is the Wikipedia page article for uh, Lil Wayne's dedication, which has some incredible quotes on um, some incredible slash possibly not that accurate quote um, saying the mixtape has been described as 
in quotes, inspirational, and in quotes, a classic among Wayne fans. Um, some great insight and some reason why your teachers don't want you to use Wikipedia as a source. Uh, next up, number six is Stun Like My Daddy. <laughs> This is Lil, This is from Lil Wayne and Birdman's uh, joint album, which is like the Watch the Throne of the South, which is like father, like son. Once again, they've always seen themselves as a father-son relationship. And this is so cool because this is peak Lil Wayne Birdman. This is when we have them at their strongest. They're both rapping. They're both going hard. They both look scary. Birdman's getting a tattoo in the middle of the music video on his neck, which is something I could never do. They're riding around a cool lowrider. The hook is fire, and Rolling Stone ranks it the 94th best song of 2006. At number seven, we have Lil Wayne's Lollipop. perennial play at any middle school dance during my time of middle school. It set the scene for a lot of inappropriate dancing for young kids. Um, Wayne becomes a superstar pop star with this song. This is brings Wayne out of the world of just one of the best rappers alive, but into one of the biggest music artists alive at this point. He's really a global icon, and this song is what differentiates him from a lot of other rappers. He's huge, not just in the rap industry, but all around in all genres. This is his num. This is a number one single. And next at number eight, we have Mr. Carter. I heard you were looking for me which uh, is also as well as Lollipop on the Carter 3, which is probably Wayne's most universally acclaimed album, um, certified triple platinum. And this is has one of Lil Wayne's most iconic features, which is the amazing Jay-Z feature. Uh, important song because Wayne is Dwayne Carter, Jay-Z is Sean Carter, thus the incredibly creative title, Mr. Carter. And you have a woman asking, hey, Mr. Carter, along with a series of questions, and both Jay-Z and Lil Wayne answer. And in my opinion, Lil Wayne outdoes Jay-Z on this, which is a huge career moment to make uh, to make note of, and just shows how high of a level of just invincibility Wayne has risen to at this point. Uh... Number nine, we have Ransom, which is actually by Drake featuring Lil Wayne. Yeah, Drizzy baby. You already know what it is. It's the first time I'm high. It's the first time I smoke. But this is in 2008 as well. And this is where Wayne starts to take kind of the father figure role in a relationship with his new prodigy, who's going to be Drake, who's going to, as Lil Wayne went on to kind of outdo Birdman, Drake would go on to outdo Lil Wayne and become the most arguably the most popular artist of today. A fun story for this is I was a young aspiring rapper in middle school and uh, or early high school and a friend of mine told me that they could beat me in a rap battle via IM. They sent me a very intimidating verse that was really scary and I instantly didn't respond. And then a week later, I heard a song and this kid had just taken Lil Wayne's verse from Ransom by Drake and copy and pasted it into IM and made me feel so inadequate as a rapper. But really it was Lil Wayne making me feel inadequate as a rapper. So that's a much better story. Uh, and then last but lot not last but not least, we have to talk about it. We have prom queen. Yeah. 
which comes from Lil Wayne's rock uh, debut slash catastrophe that is Rebirth uh, in 2010. It's Wayne's most panned work critically. It has somewhere around a 35 out of 100 score from Metacritic. But at the same time, as Wayne has been mixed with the good and bad throughout his career, this kind of opens the road for a lot of rappers to go into the more rock and roll uh, experimental field. And I think Wayne's influence will carry on for years to come. He's not just the guy who in his later career kind of just left it all, all uh, left it all out there for pop songs and kind of just cashed in money. He's also the guy who has a 20 plus year career of making number one albums winning Grammys, uh, responding to social movements and moments, like when he wrote the Georgia Bush song in response to the um, way the hurricanes were handled in New Orleans. And he's really just been a guy who's been a major pop culture figure for a long, long time now. And Lil Wayne's career is not so little. A corny note I wanted to end on. That was Cam Neemond, and now to wrap up the dive, we have Michael Arrigo with The Lasting Impact of Willy Wonka. We have a type of story here in Diversions that we like to call a lasting impact. And that's when we write about a piece of culture from the past, usually when it's back in the news again because of an anniversary or a tragedy or something like that. And we talk about the impact that we think that thing has had on its industry or genre or just on culture as a whole, or the impact that it's had on us personally and how that impact came about, and how it has persisted or grown over time. So all, all that is just to say, this last story on the dive today is my lasting impact of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Who wants an everlasting gobstopper? Me! I can only give them to you if you solemnly swear to keep them for yourselves, and never show them to another living soul as long as you all shall live. Agreed? Agreed! When Gene Wilder died a few weeks ago, I was really busy or as busy as a college senior can be. I was still moving back in and, and getting settled after summer break. I had just gone back to work and was starting to think maybe a little bit too much about stuff like this podcast, and, uh, and I really didn't have time to process the news that Wilder had passed away. I actually heard for the first time that he had gone in the kind of non-personal context of work, as we discussed what we had written about him uh, in the past and what we could share about him on social media, and sort of a makeshift remembrance. But in the time since Wilder died, and we offered up those tweets to him. I've thought a bit more about him. And I realized that I was really sad over his passing, more so than I usually get over celebrity deaths. And, and, I mean, anytime you lose someone who spent their lives creating art, yeah, that's awful. I'm not saying, you know, you know what I'm not saying. But Gene Wilder felt different to me, and I'm sure it's because of Willy Wonka. I'm sure it's because he was Willy Wonka. Willy Wonka changed the way I see fictional characters. That sounds like a broad statement, but at this point I'll stand by it. I saw the movie as a kid, thanks to my parents, and I feel like the movies of our parents that they chose to pass down to us always have more potential to leave a mark than those we discover on our own. Consequently, I loved Willy Wonka, but I was also terrified of him. Because what Gene Wilder created with that Candyman was someone so complex that it kind of messed me up. Throughout the movie, as Wonka's mood swings wildly, his signature blue eyes flickering back and forth between amusement, disdain, excitement, and fury, I too would leap from emotion to emotion. He was the first character that did that to me. When he was happy, I was happy. 
This is the great glass Wonkavator. It's an elevator. It's a Wonkavator. An elevator can only go up and down, but the Wonkavator can go sideways and slantways and long ways and back ways and square ways and front ways and any other ways that you can think of. It can take you to any room in the whole factory just by pressing one of these buttons. Any of these buttons. Just press a button and see, you're off. But when he was angry or decided to get a little bit scary, I couldn't handle it. There's no knowing where we're rowing, or which way the river's flowing. Is it raining? Is it snowing? Is a hurricane a-blowing? Okay, that's enough of that. I've discussed that scene with so many people, I think in a kind of let's talk this out sort of way, and a lot of them say they just fast forward through it. They just straight up skip it. In a children's movie, they skip a scene. Who else could make that happen? Not only did Wilder manage to perfect both perfect joy and sobering rage, but he could flip them, or mix them, so quickly, making every moment he was on screen in Willy Wonka feel wildly, wonderfully unpredictable. The strawberries taste like strawberries. The snozberries taste like snozberries. Snozberries? Who ever heard of a snozberry? We are the music makers, and we are the dreamers of dreams. This effect that Wonka had on me I realize now it's the mark of a truly great character. And it's something so rare, too. I think I can only name a few times I've felt it since. I mean, Tony Soprano did that to me, Michael Corleone, uh, that crazy guy from City of God. Notice I can only think of wild, unhinged villains and gangsters as comparisons to this man. That's how complex Gene Wilder made his protagonist. And I watch a lot of movies these days, but I still kind of hold Willy Wonka at the top of my character development measuring stick. And just about everyone falls short. He was perfectly effective. You won! You did it! You did it! I knew you would! I just knew you would! Oh, Charlie, forgive me for putting you through this. Please forgive me. Come in, Mr. Wilkinson. Charlie, meet Mr. Wilkinson. Pleasure. Slugworth. No, no, that's not Slugworth. He works for me. For you? I had to test you, Charlie, and you passed the test. As I processed Wilder's death, I went back and watched old YouTube clips, which is a very millennial way of grieving, but something I find myself doing a lot after celebrity deaths. And I stumbled upon an appearance he made on uh, Late Night with Conan O'Brien in 2005 to promote his autobiography, Kiss Me Like a Stranger. And late in that interview, Conan stops asking questions and says that he just wanted to say a quick aside about the book. And he said that one of his favorite things about reading it was getting to the end and getting the sense that Wilder was really, truly happy at that point in his life. And that made me feel good, says O'Brien, because I want you to be happy. And that's the same thing I felt. When he was happy, I was happy. Gene Wilder had that effect on people. Apparently, it wasn't just me. And it was never just me, because of course, I wasn't the only one that was watching it. He just made it feel that way. Hold your breath. Make a wish. Count to three. Come with me and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. Take a look and you'll see into your imagination. We'll begin with a spin traveling in the world of my creation. What we'll see will defy explanation. 
a huge thank you to Patrick Basler, who created our opening theme, among other things, Anna Muckerman, Cam Neiman, Josh Magnus, Danielle Ohl, and all the other people who helped make this debut a reality. We'll be releasing episodes bi-weekly, so be sure to check for new content on our SoundCloud or at dbknews.com. If you want to view paradise, simply look around and view it. Anything you want to do it, want to change the world, there's nothing to it.